Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Joining me now is Dr. Merrill Matthews. Dr. Matthews is a resident scholar at the Institute for Policy Innovation. And he's got a lot of stuff up that he's written at IPI, Institute for Policy Innovation, IPI.org. That's IPI.org. But he wrote a piece, Why Are Liberals Never the Swing Votes on the Supreme Court? And I thought, my gosh, he's on to something. How you doing, Doc? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Very good. So you uh, go ahead. Uh, explain the premise. I mean, it sort of speaks for itself, but uh, wh- when did that light bulb go off in your head? Because it never had gone off in mine, and you wrote it, and I thought, and it was like, oh, my God, he's right. <laughs> well, you know, when Anthony Kennedy decided he was going to step down, uh, the media immediately began to speculate, okay, who will be the swing vote now? Will it be John Roberts? And I thought to myself at the time, well, you know, they don't ask the question, is it going to be Elena Kagan? Is it going to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg? And I started thinking about this, and I thought, you know, uh, let's see if there's something out there. And actually, there was a legal scholar who published a paper, oh, four or five years ago, where he looked at who was the swing vote between 1981 and 2012. And it turns out there were, there were two, Sandra Day O'Connor and uh, Anthony Kennedy. And that, that gets you back to 1981. Prior to that, uh, the, one of these, the, if you, it, it, there were fewer what you'd call swing votes back then because it was, it, it was not as ideologically separated as it is now. But prior to that, it was Lewis Powell, who was a Nixon appointee, uh, and he was one of the people who sided with uh, uh, the majority on Roe v. Wade. So you can go all the way back to Nixon, and if you ask the question, who was a swing vote, it was a Republican appointee, whether it's Powell uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, Anthony K- Kennedy, and now they're thinking maybe it will be John Roberts. All right. So why is that? And I, I, I have two thoughts. I, I have the thought that it's never the Democrat because they are real ideologues. And somehow uh, the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee never have the spine to not give the consent. But but then why is it always a Republican? Is it that they I, I, picked a bad pick? Go ahead. I think I think it is because Republicans have historically been more committed to the Constitution as it is and the rule of law. And if that's the case, sometimes you're going to side with with another side because you believe the Constitution says this. I've heard, I've heard the Supreme Court at times come out and say uh, we do not agree with we don't like where we're having to go, but this is what the law says or the Constitution says, and therefore this is our ruling. And if you're if you're adhering to the rule of law, you as an ideologue may come up and say, I don't like what this is doing, but I'm going to have to do it. You know, uh, several years ago, I was writing uh, unsigned editorial for uh, editorials for a national newspaper, and on the issue of, physi- issue of physician-assisted suicide, I don't like that, but there had been going back and forth between the state of Oregon and the president, and uh, the, the pa- we, as the paper, we came down and said, well, we're going to we're going to support state uh, state allowed physician-assisted suicide, not because we like it, but because the Constitution doesn't have any say on 
that's what should be the province of the state. Sometimes you do things you don't like if, you, if you're going to stick to a strict reading of the Constitution and the law. Gotcha. However, so then that's, but I can only think of one because I'm not a, a, a Supreme Court aficionado. I don't know. I can't cite cases. But I got to tell you, John Roberts being a swing vote on Obamacare, that had, how that, that, tell me how that had to do anything to do with the Constitution. Uh, it, it, that had more more to do with John Roberts, and that's why I think the the uh, the media are thinking maybe he will become the swing vote because he initially, after hearing the arguments on that, was was going to side with the conservatives on the the mandate to have health insurance was not constitutional. Then he got to thinking, and uh, he came up a little later and said, "Well, you know, if we if we consider this fine to have health, and uh, if you don't have health insurance, if we consider that a tax." And under the law, it, it, you can argue it is a tax because it comes from the IRS code. The IRS has to enforce it and so forth. Uh, if, you, uh, if you consider that a tax, then the government has the right to tax. And so he, he went with the liberals on that. Not, he didn't go with their reasoning on it. He went with the notion that this is a tax, and therefore no. the government could do that. By Doc, by Doc, you've got to admit that was an amazing stretch to arrive at that conclusion. I, well, I have friends who argue that because of the way it was put in there, you could conceive it as a tax. However, the Obama administration uh, argued that they were able to do this under the Commerce Clause and not, and not a tax. So uh, John Roberts, I think, really went out on a limb to try to make it work, even considering what the Obama administration was claiming. Okay, and that's just on the money part of it. If you took the government compelling you to do something— I don't know how he says that part of it's constitutional. The gov- we just got done with this uh, Nicole Neely, and she just started uh, an organization, and it's, uh, she's the found- president and founder of Speech First. And it's where the government's compelling you to, say, to speak a certain way. And, and, and in particular, hers, she used to be with the Independent Women's Forum, which you may have heard of, and she now just started right. this organization. It's primarily with college campus, campus and free speech and the government compelling you to, to use certain language. That, that government can't compel you to do that. So how can they compel you to buy insurance? How, can, how is that possible? Uh, they 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 reason that they could do it under the interstate commerce clause oh, because the uh, co- the uh, constitution grants Congress the right to be able to uh, to it, the authority to regulate interstate commerce. It seemed like a stretch, but the the Supreme Court on a couple of issues has done some things on the interstate commerce clause that dr- dramatically broadened those powers, and many of us feel like it needs to be reined in because it gave the the. Uh, uh, Congress, it, it, it granted too much under the interstate commerce. Well, well, how, how would you not then be say to somebody, you know what, we're going to use that and say we are, we're going to compel you because we're concerned about the, you get the, 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 another extreme left president in there that uh, goes for the global warming and all that stuff. So we're going to compel you after your second child to have an abortion. Well, it, it, you, you could, under their previous reasoning on the interstate commerce, perhaps do something about that be, or say something in that regard because uh, children have an effect on interstate commerce. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a, a, a bizarre initial uh, uh, thinking, and John, uh, John Roberts sort of went off the deep end on that. And what, what I think will be interesting with the court right now is because the left is shifting to even further left, uh, the, the old line left, 
liberals were were great defenders of free speech and civil liberties, uh, as Alan Dershowitz was, and now they're finding themselves sort of pushed out because the left is saying, well, well now we need to regulate speech. We can't let you have civil liberties because that would might offend somebody. So we'll see what happens with the court. If they hold to their old line liberal thinking, they may not, uh, you know, they may not go along with some of those things. We just don't know right now. Yeah, it's so funny that it's uh, the left that is suddenly pro-government, pro-intelligence agency, you know, anti-Russia, and they're also pro-book-burning, book-banning, free speech. It really is interesting. It's almost like a, a paradigm shift. It's... It is, and, you know, the, the interesting there, point there, if you mentioned Russia, the left and moderate Republicans tend to see Russia as the biggest threat. Uh, increasingly, I think, the more conservative, uh, the, the more hardline conservatives see China as the biggest threat to to us, our way of life, our values, and other things. Yes. In fact, I forget which former president uh, was, first of all, you, how can you not forget Obama saying to Mitt Romney, the 80s called, they want their foreign policy back when Mitt Romney said Russia was the biggest threat. And now the Democrats are basically validating Mitt Romney. But I forget which president it was that said, someday we will need Russia to fight China. I forget which one said that, but one of them in the recent years said that. You know, it's interesting because in, in 1971, because of Russian expansion, of Soviet Union expansionism, uh, Henry Kissinger made a secret mission to China and uh, met with uh, Premier um, uh, Zhou Enlai, and that started the uh, process whereby Nixon then met with uh, uh, Chairman Mao in February of 72, and that started a 20-year process of the U.S. working with China as a way to kind of contain Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the Russian, the United, the Soviet Union fell apart. They sort of became a kind of a democratic country, but here in the last 10 or 12, 15 years, they are started on the move again, and uh, uh, the, the, the sense of needing the U.S.-China relation to sort of contain Russia kind of drifted away, but now you have China's on the move, and, and so is Russia. And I'm not sure how that, those three major countries there end up resolving that, uh, that problem because both of them are, are moving out. Back to the courts, which I hear, I agree with you. I don't know. We've got a tough, tricky foreign policy with Russia calling, causing, well, first of all, uh, China building those islands in the South China Sea and uh, right. trying to expand. And China, of course, is uh, stirring the pot with North Korea. But then you got Russia stirring the pot with Iran, Syria, elsewhere, and they've got their hands in lots of cookie jars. And it's it's it, Trump's been left uh, a bad situation because I think our pot for our failure to lead for eight years. Um, was a big mistake. Uh, I don't like our foreign intervention. I don't like world adventurism. On the other hand, when you don't lead, it leaves a vacuum and somebody else is going to. And we uh, and that you're absolutely right there. And, and just last week, President Xi of China went to the United Arab Emirates, uh, cut a deal with them for oil and gas and other trade issues, and then headed over to East Africa, where he is right now, uh, uh, 
because China's had a lot of interest and trade with East Africa. So it, it, it almost sounds like President Xi is stepping in to say there's a void out there right now, especially on the trade challenges. So we're, we, China, are going to step in and try to start filling some of that void. So it, it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but it's, it's creating some real unknowns for us out there. And the, the, the longstanding working relationship we had with China, in part because to try to suppress Russia, Russia has has somewhat fallen apart now. It was falling apart before the, anything with trade. Quite honestly, I mean, we oh, need to right, be yes. we, we need to be honest about that. And you could question Trump's tariffs and all that stuff. I, I get all that. I know I've read some of your stuff there. I disagree with you on some of it and agree with you on some of it. Uh, I, I just. I never understood why we had the policy towards China when we were so hardballed on other countries that were killing their people that why just I know why it was simply greed. There were millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of customers and we wanted China's markets. But so we didn't care what China's policy was towards its people or elsewhere. We sold our souls to the devil. And now here we are years later with that with the you know, we're starting to unravel as China has more money, becomes more powerful, and thumbs their nose at us. So, you know, it's it's a we. I don't know. It's just a long story. I mean, it's just kind of it so so complex. It's so complicated. It really is. And then people don't think about the. I understand what Trump is trying to do. I can't stand that we're allowing our borders to be so porous and importing cheap labor and not following rule of law. People can come here and break the law, not even come through a port of entry, and you import cheap labor. But then we're also doing trade with China, which is killing the American worker. I get all of what he's trying to accomplish, but I realize there's also not just economic consequences. There's foreign policy slash, you know, military, I guess you'd say, consequences of his policy. So... And yet I hear the people lamenting that he's subsidizing the farmers. And I'm thinking, excuse me, we bailed out GM. We bailed out. I mean, so it's so it's, it happens to be more crystal clear what Trump is doing. But it was crystal clear that the government's policies, you know, over-regulation of the auto industry, et cetera, led to the problem that has us bailing them out. And, and, and so it's all the same in these sanctimonious senators that are now pointing fingers at Trump. And it's like, you know what? It's all the same. His is more blatant. Yours was just as bad. So don't sit there like a sanctimonious pie hole and thump your chest. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting term, but the good news on trade is that uh, 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 Trump yesterday announced with Jean-Claude Juncker of the... uh, of the European uh, Union, that uh, they, they've come to some agreements and principles. And what I was thrilled to hear is they're going to try to move to uh, zero tariffs and, and restrictions between the countries. And that's, I would argue, that's exactly where you want to go. Uh, President Trump uh, floated that idea at the G7 meeting, what was that, about three or four weeks yeah. ago? Yeah. Uh, and, and he was just sort of dismissed. The press dismissed him as, as uh, uh, you know, that, that's not a serious proposal. But it sounds like it it might actually be a serious proposal, and I would like us to get to a point where there are no tariffs or restrictions, and there, there's, there would then be competition. I think we'd probably still have a trade deficit, but you want to have a, you want to have as free a competition there as you can. At least we might have a trade deficit, but at least we'd be on an equal playing field. Exactly. Be- when, 
When President Trump says the other countries impose stiffer tariffs on us than we do on them, he's absolutely right. right. You go to the World Trade Organization, you look at that, and uh, they, they are, in many cases, significantly higher tariffs being imposed upon us on an average basis. And he said, I'm not starting a trade war. China started it 20 years ago. I'm finally responding. And also the stealing of our intellectual property, everything else. It's just been uh, it's been a mess, and we do need to get it straightened out. Now, uh, we have Senator Toomey lives in our district, and he said that he speaks to Trump on a regular basis, and the president's very accessible to him and more accessible than Obama ever was, and he appreciates that. But he says he doesn't believe Trump's foreign policy, I mean, his trade policy is to get to zero zero tariffs. He said, I don't think that's his end game. Therefore, I disagree with him. If he had confided to me that's his game, I'd, I'd go along with this strategy. But it seems like that is his game. He might not have said that to Senator Toomey. I don't know. But it does seem like it might be his game. Well, I can tell you from that some of the people in the White House will tell you that that Trump will, has told them, I am not a protectionist. I don't like protectionism. I want to be, I'm a free trader, but I want to have it fair and, and, and equal out there. And he feels it's not fair and equal right now. He, 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 you, you can make a strong case that he's right about that part. Whether or not he's gone about it in the best way of trying to resolve that is, is I think, a, a, a fair question for discussion. Uh, because he's been a little bit more of a, where he's sort of given a whole new meaning to a bull in, a chi- in the China shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may be, but, but if it, so, some t- so I get you. He might not have gone about it the right way, but sometimes what we've tried so far hasn't worked. So well, you know what? See, see, it's an interesting point because uh, uh, Ari Fleischer, who was, was with George Bush, had been sitting in meetings of NATO. Uh, you know, and, and Trump just went to NATO, and he said George Bush would have try to cajole them and try to say, "Y'all need to put, spend more money on yourself, on your defense, on defense, and so forth." And they would all say, "Yes, yes, yes, we'll do that," and then none of them would do it. And so uh, it, it was an interesting point because uh, Trump is going to say that you need to do it, and uh, he is he's pressed the thing in much more vocal public way, mm-hmm. and we'll see if he can get that up there. But uh, doing it the nice way with NATO did not work very well. No. I want to go back to the court, circle back there. I've had many different people on the show, and i got to tell you, I think the courts, uh, we, for some reason, believe that the Supreme Court has the final say. And that isn't what our founding fathers intended. It was supposed to be three branches of government. And actually, I used to think it was co-equal, then somebody refreshed my mind that they wanted the judiciary to be the weakest branch. Now it's become the most powerful branch. And the Congress does have the right to limit the courts. I just don't think they have the spine to do it. What do we, how well, do we, go ahead. That, that, that has been the issue, is Congress has been abrogating an awful lot of its authority to the administrative uh, branch and to the courts. And, and just an example on the trade issue, uh, under the Constitution, Congress uh, is the one that regulates taxes and international commerce, uh, and tariffs are taxes. But Congress, uh, back in the uh, 1962, said to the, said to the uh, administrative branch, said to the president, if you feel like there's some kind of security issue on trade, you have the, you have the authority to go and impose those tariffs unilaterally if you if 
if you uh, if you feel there's a security threat, and now mm-hmm. so the president has taken that 1962 law and is is using that for his justification for all these things is that there's a national security threat. And whereas you can make a something of a case that there's a national security threat with aluminum and and uh, as steel, especially coming from China, uh, you can make that threat. Uh, there's uranium that's become an issue now. You can make that that uh, comment, but nobody really believes that that you're right to drive a Ford versus a BMW versus a Hyundai is a national security threat. So unless it's unless it's the amount of money and the trade deficit that becomes the now because they're using all the money we're spending with them to build their military, you could make that case. You could make that case, but it's a. It, South Korea is, is not a threat. Not so South Korea, it, no. But I'm talking about China. Uh, China, and that's why I say you can make you can make a case about China. It's much harder to make it about the other countries. Right. And yeah. so the point being is, Congress abrogated some of that authority in, in Obamacare. Congress gave the Secretary of Health and Human Services huge authority to make various kinds of decisions that should be Congress's role, but Congress didn't do it. It just sort of handed off that authority. So Congress has been has been. Uh, has self-inflicted its own weakening over for several years, and I would argue it needs to take some of that authority back. And the reason it did it is it could then say, it isn't my fault, the EPA says we have to do it. That's this, exactly right. And they're cowards, they want to hide behind it, but they're slitting their own throats in the process, really are. That's exactly right. Dr. Merrill Matthews, always a pleasure, sir. Dr. Merrill Matthews at the Institute for Policy Innovation, resident scholar there, IPI.org. Great writings by him up there, IPI. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.